all to the Engel Angle podcast. I am Fort Worth Star Telegram columnist Mac Engel, and for those of you who are listening, you can't understand just how frustrated I am currently by my hair. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that I've been fighting it. It's a little long because the guy who cuts my hair isn't in town, and I'm patiently waiting for his return. I don't take having my hair for granted, nor do I take you listening or watching for granted because it has been a full year of an Engel Angle podcast. A full year. I made it. Nobody thought I could do it. I don't know if that's really true because I don't know if anybody gave gave it much thought, but it's one of those things that athletes and coaches and sports fans say, oh God, nobody thought we could do it. Heard that a lot after the Kansas City Chiefs uh, won the Super Bowl. They're second in five years. Yeah, let me just tell you, Chiefs, and all you Chiefs fans, everybody thought you could do it. So did Las Vegas. Get over yourself. Great quarterback, fun game. Anyways, uh, it has been a full year of the Ingle Angle podcast, and I do want to thank everybody who's listened, who's watched, certainly all my guests who have been gracious enough to give me their time. I uh, also want to thank Roxo Media House. Uh, they approached me a couple years ago about doing this, and I was initially kind of reluctant because I thought, oh, gee whiz, do I really want to do this? Does, does anybody care? And uh, I don't know if anybody really does care, but I've enjoyed it because it's given me the opportunity to do something that I really like to do, which is to talk to people, uh, people from all different walks, not just sports, but entertainment, politics, newsmakers. It's been a lot of fun. I've made some changes here and there, and I'll likely continue to do that as we go along. It's been one of the fun things about this is that I've been kind of given the freedom to play around with it, and I will continue to do that. Uh, it's been a fun first year, and hopefully the second year will be a lot better. I do, however, think it would be kind of outside the box if somebody in this position would say say the antithesis of that, rather than say, oh, it's been a great first year. It's going to be even better the second year. Instead, they say, it's been a great first year, and the second year promises to be a lot worse. Get your attention, wouldn't it? Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, my guest for this episode is not the type of guest that signifies the second year is going to be worse. He's the type of guest that signifies that the second year is going to be better. And he's certainly worthy of an, a one-year anniversary celebration show. Because this is a celebration, minus the gifts and the balloons and the money. <clears throat> uh, my guest for this show is the son of sports broadcasting royalty. And he went on very much to create his own identity and his own career. Uh, he was raised in Ohio. I was born in Ohio, eventually went on to work with the likes of Jerry Springer. He was a co-worker with Jerry Springer. Uh, he called Chicago Cubs games with the great legendary Harry Carey. And then he went on to become a staple in sports broadcasting, working for Fox Sports, where he called NFL, Major League Baseball, and major college football games for decades. In August of 2020, however, he was caught on a hot mic during a Cincinnati Reds baseball telecast where he dropped a homophobic slur. And while his career and his life, for that matter, almost immediately changed, he has not gone into hiding. This guest did make a mistake, and God knows he owned it, but it certainly doesn't define him. I hope you give this one a listen, because he talks about this and other parts of a long and very interesting career behind the mic. Please welcome Mr. Tom Brenneman. And let me apologize ahead of time if my dog starts barking. No, no, it's all right. What kind of dog do you have? Uh, it's a, We all, our dogs are pound dogs. So I got one that's 14 that just went blind. She won't be the problem. It's our latest addition here soon <laughs> when my son pulls in the driveway. 
Um, how old were you when you realized your dad had a really weird job? Well, you know, when my dad was announcing uh, going all the way back, we were living in uh, uh, Salisbury, North Carolina, and he was broadcasting Catawba College basketball and football, and then he'd do American Legion baseball in the summer. And, you know, I got to go a lot of the places uh, that a lot of the other kids didn't used to go. So you thought it was, you know, kind of cool going to the dugout or go down to the clubhouse. Uh, really, really little. But I think it really hit home when he he got the job with the AAA team of the Mets at Tidewater Tides, but he was also doing the ABA, um, the American Basketball Association with the Virginia Squires. And so um, we had Julius Irving on that team, George Gerben on that team, Charlie Scott on that team. Oh, wow. Uh, and I had a chance to be the ball boy for the visiting team. So uh, I would go to work, you know, with my dad. And I think I was around eight, nine years old, something like that. And, uh, and I mean, I'm sitting around with Artis Gilmore, you know, Dan wow. Issel, you know, all these guys. And, and then you realize this, this is, you know, this is something a little bit different than most of my classmates' dads are doing, I think. So when you started out at Ohio, University of Ohio, and you decided you got bit by the bug and you wanted to do it, did anybody uh, on, that, on that evolution, that development, that trajectory ever say to you, hey, don't do this. There's a real sacrifice here. You may not make any money. Uh, you're going to be gone a lot. Did anybody try to talk you out of it? No, but, you know, I... I, I uh, no, to answer your question, but you know, I, I think that um, uh, that because I had seen my dad when he wasn't making anything, uh, and then once we moved to Cincinnati and he got the Reds job, my parents got divorced shortly thereafter, and my sister and I lived with my mom, mm -hmm. and, and we didn't have anything either. I mean, you know, my dad was making a good living, but it wasn't like back in those days you gave your spouse fifty percent of everything you had. It wasn't like that. Uh, and we weren't, you know, wanting for anything. I mean, it wasn't some poverty thing, but it was certainly, you know, a, a middle class, lower middle class uh, upbringing. And so, you know, if um, if I never felt like I needed much, never felt like I wanted much. So if somebody would have even told me that it wouldn't have made any difference. Uh, you know, good fortune of talking to Joe Buck. And there are, there's a lot of parallels. I'm sure you and Joe have mm -hmm. talked about this, sure. but between your rise and the benefiting of you know, nepotism. Yep. Um, but Joe got criticized for it. I remember when he got the Cardinals job, he got criticized for it. I'm guessing by Bernie Miklish, the longtime columnist in yep. St. Louis. Did that happen to you in Cincinnati? Well, you got, you got to realize, Mac, when, when I was hired out of college, I was not hired to be on the air. I was hired as a weekend producer. I was working at the NBC affiliate in Cincinnati where, believe it or not, Jerry Springer was our Monday through That's Friday right. news anchor. Yeah. And, uh, I, and, and so just from a, 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 a litany of events, I mean, you know, God above at his hand on the whole thing. I mean, it was from the weekend sports anchor getting in a fight with a weatherman one day to five people getting interviewed for the weekend replacement job and all turning it down in some form or fashion for one reason or another, uh, to all of a sudden me being kind of like the last guy standing down in that sports department was the only reason that I even got on the air a year and a half out of college, something like that. Um, and, and then 
uh, back in those days, and a lot of the younger generation, you know, they, they can't even fathom this, but we were the channel that, that had the Reds games. And except for WGN in Chicago and TBS in Atlanta and WOR in New York, every Major League Baseball team was only broadcasting back in those days about 50, 55 games a year on television. And we were the station that had it. And so we had a general manager of the station who um, did not want the Monday through Friday sports anchor leaving this highly rated newscast on a regular basis during ratings periods and so forth. And so he didn't want him doing the play-by-play. That's what he wanted to do. It's a guy named Steve Fiziak who's gone on to have a great oh, yeah. career as a broadcaster. I know you work with Steve. My boss, yeah. And, and, and so um, I'm the one that wound up for the first year filling in for Jay Randolph and Johnny Bench were doing the Reds games on yeah. television. And yep. um, so Johnny had to miss, you know, seven, eight games. Jay had to miss eight, ten games. And so I filled in. Well, at the end of that year, uh, the general ma- manager made the decision to – uh, place me in the full-time role with Johnny Bench. So, you know, then I, I, I never heard it. Um, and then really I never heard it again outside of people here and there that are just yeah. going to say that is what it is and that's fine. But, but I think a lot of people looked at it. When I applied for the Chicago Cubs job uh, in the winter of 1989, um, you know, they, they had they had hundreds of people apply for that job. And, and and they're not in the business in Chicago of taking care of Marty Brenneman's kid. You know, they're, they're trying to put on, you know, the Chicago yeah. Cubs. Uh, and so, you know, I think once uh, that happened, um, a lot of the nepotism sort of talk, if there was a lot of it out there, I think, you know, people were kind of like, well, you know, in Cincinnati, if you'd have gotten that job, maybe one thing, Chicago, perhaps something different. Tom, you worked at a time in Cincinnati that outside of that region, I don't think a lot of people know that WLW, the, the home of the Reds, and that had this massive, you know, 8 million watt radio station that could reach to, you know, Washington or Florida at night. And I grew up listening to those talk shows when you would, you would go on and Chris Collinsworth would go on. And that station was really ahead of the curve in terms of creating sports talk as as content, as a regular daily content. It's a little bit in the fan in New York. Uh, it was emulated, obviously, a lot in Dallas with 1310 The Ticket. Mm-hmm. Did you guys know what you were doing when that was going on? Like, Did you have a sense of what was coming in terms of this massive sports talk machine that was around the corner? Well, the guy that was actually responsible of being that guy was Bob Trumpy. Former NFL player yeah. who later became, uh, yeah. you know, a big uh, decorated analyst for NBC. Um, he was the guy that put sports talk on the map in Cincinnati. And as you say, in a lot of ways, had um, had a lot to do with it nationwide. He was just so good. And he He's had, great. Yeah, Larry King-like voice. Yeah. And, and, and I remember uh, during the days of the – 1970s and the big red machine <clears throat> back in those days in spring training uh, when the Reds were in Tampa, Florida, all of the players, whether it was Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, blah, blah, blah. Everybody stayed at the same hotel. You didn't have guys off renting some 8,000 square foot house. In this place, <laughs> so, you know. And so Trumpy would come down there and do his show for about two weeks uh, and just <clears throat> set up shop with his producer, Doug Kidd, uh, right by the, the, the swimming pool. And, you know, Johnny'd come down for half an hour. Pete come down for 20 minutes. Joe would come in for half an hour, you know, whatever it might be. But but when you listen to Trumpy, 
um, he was the guy. And then once he decided his NBC duties had taken him away uh, so much that he decided to go ahead and work for NBC, Collinsworth then stepped in there. He had just retired as a player for the Bengals. Um, He was trying to get his TV career off and running. But um, those two guys were – uh, I mean, back to back in a in a small market, so to speak, like Cincinnati, they you'd be hard pressed to find better talk show host, especially than Trumpy uh, anywhere in the country. Even now, he was that good. Bob was unafraid to give you his opinion. Yep. And Collinsworth followed with a similar tact, which is they, they weren't quite rude about it. But they were going to give you their opinion, and they weren't going to apologize about it. Even though those guys were Cincinnati sports legends, did they piss off a lot of people because of their unwillingness to say, this is what I think, and this is what I think. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Well, you know, I think that we're very fortunate in Cincinnati, and I still live here and make my home here now, uh, is that I think my dad had a lot to do with – the, the 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 greater fan base of Cincinnati being willing to accept criticism even from local guys. Now, you have to have an owner and management that will go along with that. And that is something that is just so direly missing in uh, 99% of the broadcast now, both local and national, especially local. Um, you know, he worked for a franchise that really gave him the freedom to – to do some of that, never made it personal, never went out of his way to bury some guy and, you know, things like that. Uh, but, you know, a guy made an error, cost him a game in the seventh. You know, he'd talk about it in the seventh, talk about it in the eighth, talk about it in the ninth, and then the postgame show. Trumpy, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. I still see Trumpy now. He still lives here in town. He, um, I mean, he... Uh, there's no doubt in mind he came out of the womb telling people exactly what, what he thought about things. So, you know, I think that my dad and then Trumpy and then Chris, uh, not so much anymore now uh, as far as sports talk in town is concerned. But but uh, those three guys, I, I think, got, got the greater Cincinnati fan base who rooted for the Reds, rooted for the Bengals, UC basketball, Xavier, whatever it might be, that, hey, you know, 90% of the stuff we say is going to be good. There might be 10% that's not so good. And you know what? We say it, we move on, life goes on. Not the end of the world. You worked with two, for lack of a better word, larger-than-life cartoonish figures. Uh, and you mentioned one of them, and the other one I'll mention here in a second. But the first one was Jerry Springer. Yeah. And, you know, obviously society has moved on from when he was at his peak but a lot of people forget that he was the mayor of Cincinnati and he had all this background in Cincinnati before he became this national sort of, uh, I don't even know what to describe him as, daytime talk show host, something that we hadn't seen before. You spent time with him. Tom, what was the guy really like? You know what? One of my favorite people in the world, Mac. Was uh, he really? I mean, this guy, he was, he is such a, still is. He is such a brilliant guy. He went to Northwestern undergrad, grew up in New York City, went to Northwestern undergrad, went to Tulane Law School. He comes to Cincinnati to start a law firm. Um, You know, all of a sudden he's running for political office. 
um, you know, Cincinnati, or at least the county, is is an extremely conservative county, extremely conservative state. I like Texas in many, many ways. Uh, prob- they probably mirror one another along with Florida. Um, you know, the, the three are almost one and the same in many regards uh, politically. Um, and, and he was the first two-term Democratic mayor the city had ever had. He was that likable of a guy. I mean, tell you what kind of guy he was, you know. When, when the Reds played the Yankees, and I mentioned that Jerry grew up in New York City, mm-hmm. and when the Reds played the Yankees in the 1976 World Series, most of the time you'll get this back and forth with mayors of cities. Yeah, right. right. Springer's betting on the Yankees to win the World <laughs> Series. You know, he was that kind of guy. And then when he got into tell you, you know, he, he was running for Senate um, and uh, fell into a situation where there was a, 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 a prostitute who had a check uh, a check from him uh, became a big story, ended up costing him a legitimate chance to win the Senate seat. Um, I was around him many, many, many nights. He used to go out every Thursday night. He'd go down to a rock and roll club after he'd get off the air at 1130. He loved to sing. And he'd go down and he would do a set with this same band every Thursday night, a Beatles set. And I, I've been around him a lot. And, uh, you know, he always swore privately up one side and down the other that he had nothing to do with that. Um, you know, do I know the ultimate truth? You know, no, I don't. But uh, there's no doubt in my mind, had that not happened, Jerry Springer to this day would still be the senator or one of the two senators from the state of Ohio. There's no doubt in my mind. Then you're in Chicago. Yeah. And then you get paired with maybe one of the most celebrated and well-known broadcasters in the history of the business in Harry Carey. And that's good and bad. You know, he becomes he becomes lampooned by Will Ferrell, but he right. lives forever. Yeah. Like there's certain broadcasters who are revered forever. Vince Scully, Keith Jackson, and Harry sort of lived in these two different worlds. Um, you knew him. You worked with him. You got to see what he was really like. What about his perception, about the perception that we had of Harry was accurate? And what was 180 degrees opposite? Well, the one thing I can tell you that was 180 opposite, by the time that I got the job with the Cubs in 1990, Harry had had a stroke during the 1988 wow. season. And um, and at that point in time, um, you know, I, I wasn't around before 88 uh, to ever be around him. I had met him a, a time or two when the Cubs would come into Cincinnati or whatever, but um, – you know, I think a lot of people, uh, because of the stroke, I think a lot of people assumed that that sometimes the way he would sound, he couldn't say um, an S at the end of the word, at the end of a word. And so every team in, in sports has, virtually has a you know S at the end. So he'd be called the Cub or the Cardinal or whatever it might be. And so he couldn't say the S at the end. Um, and a lot of people thought that he was drinking during the game. The The, the six years that I was there with him, he never had a single sip of alcohol during the game. Really? In fact, I remember one year uh, the team was in St. Louis where he was, a, you know, made his mark as a broadcaster to start with 40 years with the Cubs, whatever it was, or with the Cardinals. And um, and it was a it was a radio only game. So we weren't doing the game on television. And um, in St. Louis, during the uh, seventh inning stretch, instead of taking me out to the ball game, they play the Anheuser-Busch song and yeah. all this up. And and then there was a on, on the media level they had a where the lunchroom was down there they had they had two beer taps <laughs> and he says to me in like the sixth inning he says Tom do me a favor he says run down there 
get a Budweiser. If you can get a Budweiser can, great. If it's in a tap, just go down there and get a cup. If they have a Budweiser cup, that's great. They don't, they don't. Just bring it back. I said, okay. Um, and so I bring it back into him. Seventh inning stretch comes around. He stands up, holds up a beer. All the people go crazy in St. Louis, like he's having a Budweiser during the game. And then he just turned around, handed it back to me, and off we went. But he was, <laughs> I mean, you talk about a guy that, uh, I mean, I, I relished every single second that I spent around this guy. It, it was interesting because we had a, we had a broadcast team. So when I got there, uh, the entire radio team had left. Dwayne Stats had gone off to the Yankees and the analyst, uh, they didn't bring him back. And so they hired um, Ron Sancho, Ron former Sancho. great player, Bob Brenly, former major league player, and me uh, to do the radio, three-man booth. And then there were Steve Stone and Harry over on the television. And Harry and I would flip-flop uh, for the middle three innings of the game. And, um, and so Steve uh, w- was not a guy that liked to go out much uh, at night. Um, Ron, uh, occasionally. Friendly, not much. I was 26. I mean, you know, he said to me, hey, you know, after the game, he's got access to this limo everywhere we went after he had the stroke. Uh, so, you know, he never got on a bus, never nothing. Limo's here to take him to the ballpark, take him out wherever he wants to go afterwards. So, you know, I'd be the, the, the lone kind of guy standing there, and he would be like, let's go. And he, he knew restaurant owners in San Diego. He knew bar owners in New York City. He knew this guy in Miami. <laughs> he knew that guy in L.A. Knew this guy. You know, I mean, it was it was the most fun you could ever ask for in, in your life, and especially as a young single, you know, guy just starting your career, and, you, and you're hanging out with Harry Carey. I mean, it was. It was just unbelievable those six years. I can't imagine the amount of people who came up to him yep. and wanted to buy him a beer or just sit there and talk ball with him. That, at some point, that has you have to be grateful, but I'm sure at some point it gets exhausting. Uh, how did he deal with the crowd? Well, you know, I mean, he, he, he worshipped the crowd, Matt, it, because he grew up as an orphan. Um, I think he always felt like there was a part of his life that was missing, you know, in terms of attention. And I don't mean to get over Freudian about it, but I've heard him talk about it before, heard him talk about it before. And, and so, you know, he, he, you know, for example, he, he would go uh, to the ballpark. And back in those days, the overwhelming majority of games in Chicago were day games. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the lights had come in in 88. Uh, and, and there was a, an agreement with the, the neighborhood that there were only, I think, 12 or 14 night games a year. So, you know, the other 60 something odd games are, are, are day games. And, you know, it, it would never be enough for him to just go be Harry Carey at the ballpark, sing and take me out to the ball game and all the people want to talk to him and meet him and all that kind of thing. I mean, as soon as he would get finished, he would go straight to his restaurant, Harry Carey's fabulous Italian restaurant right in downtown Chicago. He had three or four buddies of his uh, that he hung out with all the time, all guys his age that loved to sit around and eat good food and, you know, drink lots of booze and hang out. And, you know, their wives would be there with him. And, and I mean, he'd be in Harry Carey's restaurant. Well, naturally, Harry Carey and Harry Carey's restaurant, everybody and his brother's walking up to the guy. I mean, yeah. he, he loved every minute of it and, and treated everybody like a million bucks. You mentioned something about your dad, and Harry fits into the same category about there is an era of broadcasters, uh, team broadcasters, yeah. who were permitted to give their honest assessment of what just happened, good or bad. I can't think of 
many of those guys are left. I think Brad Sham uh, with the Dallas Cowboys and Babe Laufenberg, they have a decent amount of latitude to call it like they see it. Um, but your dad, I, I, can, I still can remember some of the things that your dad would say about the Reds and yeah. certain pitchers. He doesn't even know where it's going, folks. Uh, do you think we'll ever see that again? No. That, no chance. Do you think fans care that we won't see that again? Or do you think fans want to hear, hey, it's great, even though we're 50 games under 500 and it's 10 to nothing, uh, you know, here on August 10th? I just think it it comes down to, to be honest with you, Mac, you know, kind of how you present it. I, I, I don't think anybody wants, if you're a fan of the Rangers or you're a fan of the Cowboys, I don't think anybody wants, um, you know, Brad to, to, to come out and, and just start killing Dak Prescott and we're <laughs> never going to win the big game with this guy, you know, and that kind of stuff. But, you know, there are other ways of going about that basically sort of making that point without just, you know, hammering away at it. So, um, you know, I think it's getting to a point, to be honest with you, Mac, where, I, you know, to, to answer the part about do I think fans miss it, I think it's getting to be a point now where it's so rare to ever hear it that they don't know what they are missing. And I, and I think it's a shame. I really do think it's a shame because, um, you know, you've got some of these teams – uh, Houston, for example, uh, the Astros, where, um, you know, th- they're making their guys talk about analytics, their oh, yeah. broadcasters. And, and, you know, when I was at Fox all those years and we'd have our baseball seminar and th- they had they had started this independent research firm, uh, even though Fox owned it. So you might say, OK, well, how independent can it be? But it was his own freestanding company to do whatever work they wanted to do. And part of that used to be the study groups of what fans want in a telecast. Now, this is a national telecast. This is like a market research kind of thing. Yeah, market research kind of thing. So when they asked fans, they gave them 30 different choices. And they hadn't had them rank them one in terms of most important, like score of the game. Okay. Um, you know, things like that. So one to 30, not one year in the seven years that I was around still at Fox, not one year did analytics rank higher than 28th in terms of importance to the research that this group had done. Now, are there analytics people out there that watch the games? Without a doubt. Are there more and more of them? Perhaps. Are there a lot of them that just kind of are like, ugh, Golly, I'm so tired of hearing about OPS and I'm tired of hearing about, you know, um, um, you know, exit velocity and, you know, I mean, it's just like, come on, you know, we're doing a baseball game here. You know, you kind of led me into it. Sports has changed so much. You know, the money has changed so much. I'm not, I'll be 50 here pretty soon and I still like it. I don't know if I, and I, you know, there's a thousand different feelings I have about it. Um, do you still like it as much as you did, say, when you were 25 and you started out, Tom? No. You don't? No. Why? No, because I, I, I think that it, there are a number of things, Mac. I, it's become so uh, specialized. You know, I, I mean, I, I've talked to Sean Casey about this, you know, former outstanding big league hitter, and I've talked to a lot of different guys about this. It has almost become impossible to hit these relief pitchers anymore. Oh. And, and they're not coming in the game in the, in the, in the 
eighth and ninth innings anymore. They're coming in the game in the fifth inning, in the sixth inning, and you're seeing them one time. You know, these batters, for so long, if you were in the starting lineup, uh, outside of scoring seven runs in the first inning, the starter gets knocked out of the game. But but there was a real good chance when the game started that you were going to see the same pitcher two, maybe three, sometimes four at-bats in a game. Now you're you're probably going to see the starter two at-bats. You're going to see another guy in the third at-bat, another guy in the fourth at-bat. So, you know, these guys are all throwing now in 95, 98, 100 miles an hour. So what does that mean? It means you see very few comebacks anymore. You just don't see it. Uh, once a team has a lead, you no, know, it, 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 they're just shutting down the game. So it's not like all of a sudden a football game where it's a one-score game and at any point in time, you know, you, all it takes is, bam, one slant, you know, across the middle, break a tackle, gone, touchdown, you tie the game up. So uh, that's number one. Number two uh, is without a doubt uh, the pace of play. Um, when I was when I was doing the games, um, you know, in the even with Arizona in the uh, you know the two thousands and, and up to you know the the two thousand tens, it it, um, it games were still a long game was three hours. I mean, really long. Yeah, that's right. Now standard. Uh, that's it, it, I mean that's not even the average anymore. Um, and and I, I just roll my eyes at at, at people. Uh, Buck Showalter comes to mind. You know, when I'll read comments like, you know, well, the game doesn't need to change, and you know, it's only these people who are trying to do this and trying to do that to change the game. Man, you know, when you have a product, you have to keep your product a viable product to people. And right now, all you have to do is look at the ratings and, and look what's happened to baseball. They're not keeping the product viable, in my opinion. So if they're not keeping it viable, and I and I'm not I'm not an alarmist who believes baseball's dying, baseball's dead. I think baseball, what it's become, is is a big niche sport. Yeah, it's still huge. You got local TV yep. properties propping it up. You've got guys making three, four, five hundred million dollar contracts. So this idea that it's dying or it's dead is preposterous. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I look at hockey, football, basketball. They've all kind of NASCAR, well, NASCAR is a little bit of a different animal, but Tom, all of them figured out kind of how to tweak and change to sort of be attractive, um, to be attractive property. Do you think baseball, the game itself, is capable of doing that without completely ripping apart what made it a baseball game? Well, we're going to find out this year because for the first time, they're going to a pitch clock, which, um, you know, it's interesting because I have a number of friends of mine that live in cities that have minor league baseball, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've been experimenting around this uh, for years. And and a really close friend of mine comes to, comes to mind who lives down in Nashville. And so he was explaining to me about three, four years ago when they first started doing this, that he he goes to a lot of the games. He's got season tickets. Kids are out of the house, loves going to baseball games, you know? And, and he said that when he first started going um, that, you would always catch yourself looking up at that pitch clock to see if the guy was going to make it. Your eyes would just continually take it. You know. and is this is like a play clock. Is it the right. same effect of a play clock exactly. in a football game? Okay. Exactly. So he said, but then after a while, everybody, you know, adapts quickly. The players, the batters, the umpires, the pitchers, everybody figures it out. And then before you know it, you never notice it again. And the pace of play and, and the documentation bears it out. The games that they've been experimenting with down in the minor leagues uh, have, have, have picked up uh, time of game, 
uh, considerably. Taking away the shift is going to lend itself now this coming season, or baseball hopes, to creating more action where it doesn't become, you know, that 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 trio of outcomes of, of, of strikeout, walk, home runs has gone from, I think, something like 17%, 20%, 30%, 35%, 38%, just those three outcomes. So now all of a sudden, baseball, by eliminating the shift, you'll have more balls that get through into right field, center field, into left field, through the hole, um, they're they're making the bases bigger, which they believe uh, theoretically could lend itself to more people attempting to run and steal bases and bring that part of the game back. You know, look, George Will said to me years ago, one day, um, he said, you know, analytics is the best thing for the batter. It's the best thing for the pitcher and it's the worst thing for the sport. And I agree with him wholeheartedly. So do I. Tom, when I look at your career and, I'm, you know, you're, you're a few years removed from it. When I asked you to come on this, I said, you know, is there anything you don't want me to talk about? And you're smart. You know what I mean? You said, no, go ahead and ask anything. Yep. Is there any way to tell the story of Tom Brenneman's professional career without your hot mic screw up three years ago? I, I, I wish there was, but there's not. You know, that that's the one thing that uh, of all the other things you have to um, deal with. Uh, and I'm the one who said it. So, I, I mean, I'm the one who takes full responsibility for it. Uh, I have worked very, very hard to try and right my wrong, if there is such a thing since then, uh, with with trying to to grow and, and learn more and hear uh, from uh, gay men, particularly, um, you know, what that word that I said in a flippant sort of way, but th- there's no excuse for it, period. Uh, I own it. I said it. Uh, and 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 I've suffered the consequences from it. Um, you know, when when you do something like that, you you change your entire life with one word. Um, you know, for thirty years, uh, I was broadcasting Major League Baseball. For twenty five years, I would broadcast in the NFL. Um, you, you've got a you've got a great income. You've got a great job. It's a great lifestyle, uh, not only for me but more importantly for my family. Um, you know, and then when this happens, um, everything literally, I mean, like in the blink of an eye, it, 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 everything was gone, uh, by the next morning, um, my job with the Reds job with Fox, uh, commercial stuff I was doing in relationships. I, had in Cincinnati. I mean, literally by the time I got up the next morning, uh, before 1030 in the morning, uh, gone from every job, um, gone from every paycheck gone from, you know, all that kind of thing. Okay. So, you know, now you got to find a way um, to, um, you know, get back off the deck, so to speak. But, but, but then things come along um, like, uh, you know, the, 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 the meme that, that basically is, has, you know, uh, almost become uh, better known than, than any game or any season or anything that I ever did where, you know, I'm trying to apologize uh, during the game and, and a home run happens and you kind of flip back into doing your job because that's what you've done forever to think that there's a home run in the game and you don't call it. And so I called it and the people thought my, you know, apology was insincere and, and it certainly was not insincere. I can assure you of that. And uh, so, you know, you, you go with that, then you go to, um, you know, 
um, uh, my son, who is uh, an outstanding high school athlete, and 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 is now still in high school, and and you know he's playing in games, um, and he's a very focal point of of his teams uh, in high school, um, and you know he's getting chanted from the kids in the stands. You know, is it really? Yeah, and you're sitting there and you're going, man, you know, th- th- I didn't see this one coming. Maybe you know, naive. I don't know. And so um, it's always like something continues to kind of come back up just when you think that, okay, maybe we're, you know, sort of getting through a lot of this. Uh, and then it kind of hits you back between the eyes. But all you can do is keep on going. I mean, you know, the easiest thing in the world would be go crawl in a hole somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, you know, leave Cincinnati, um, you know, move out to, you know, wherever. Right. And, um, and, and just kind of, you know, fade into the, you know, landscape and, and, and no big deal. Uh, but that's not who I am. I know that, uh, I know for a fact that I never have for one second of my life had a homophobic bone in my body. I never have, and there are a lot of people that are gay that would tell you that, that I've known long before that ever happened. Um, so, you know, if, if there are people out there that that want to remember what I said and that's the only thing I did, so be it. Nothing I can do about it. But I think we have, I think we still have other days to come. Uh, <clears throat> you know, you get older, you live long enough, you're going to screw up. You know, I, I've got some real humdingers. Mine wasn't caught on a hot mic. And at some point, I'm sure you kicked yourself all over town about this. I've only got a few minutes left. And I am curious to ask you, at some point, you had to forgive yourself. Well, you recognize this part of it, all parts of it. At some point, you had to forgive yourself. Um, have you been able to do that? Uh, yeah, uh, because I know that, uh, that God forgave me for that. And, uh, and, uh, and for a lot worse than that in my life, without a doubt. And so... You know, do I wish it was different? Of course, I wish it was different. Uh, are there days you wake up that are a little darker, maybe than some other days when all of a sudden, you know, people used to work with for a long time uh, who, you know, that old Bob Seger friend, uh, song, uh, one of my all time favorites, surrounded by strangers I thought were my friend. You know, it, it, it's like Did that happen? people that also disappear. They just they, uh, literally overnight, they just disappear in your life. But you know what? In a lot of ways, that's not a bad thing. In a lot of ways, I found out that's a good thing uh, because you really do find out uh, who your real friends are. Uh, your family's there. Uh, and so, you know, thank God for the whole, I mean, I say all the time, you know, there were so many incredible moments and blessings that that that, that have happened because um, I wasn't doing baseball in the summer. Uh you know, my daughter's down there where you are going yeah. to college. I got to move her into college. I got to go to her high school graduation. Our son won a state championship in high school. I got to be there for every minute of the game. I'm going to be at his high school graduation and watch his senior year here coming up and all and move him into college, you know, good Lord willing in the fall. So, um, I, you know, in a lot of time I've spent with my wife and our family, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Do I wish professionally I could get another shot one day? Absolutely. Um, but if that's meant to be, it's meant to be. And if it's not meant to be, um, you know, you're not going to read about Tom Brenneman all of a sudden doing something stupid and he can't handle life anymore because there's just too many great things to be grateful for. Uh, last thing I'm going to ask you, this is a much more light question. 
I told you this before. I was born in Cincinnati, and the very first team that I loved the Bengals. And when they went on their run last year, I really got, I really fell for it. I really, really fell for it. And when they lost to the Chiefs, I, uh, that one probably really bothered me. I got like, I got like a minute and a half year. Tom, are we going to see the Bengals finally win a Super Bowl or because it's Mike Brown and for whatever reason, he's just cursed that I should retire that hope in my lifetime? It's going to happen. There's no right. doubt in my mind about it because Mike Brown, uh, you know, for all the heat he took in this town for a long time, justifiably yes. so. Yep. But in the last three or four years, there has been a significant shift in the way that 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 franchise does business. They were never big spenders in free agency. Uh, they spent a fortune on the defense two years ago. They spent a fortune on the offensive line this year. Uh, unfortunately, three of those guys were not yeah. starting in the game against Kansas City by the time they got the end. But with this quarterback and with this receiving group uh, and with the young players they have on this team, there is no doubt in my mind they will win a Super Bowl, Mac. You'll be you'll be dancing around <laughs> one night here. The next <laughs> All right. Tommy, thank you so much for your time. You're a great pro, and I appreciate you so much for taking time to talk to me today. And when you get down to town, when you get down here, to, to uh, move out your daughter, do whatever else, please hit me up. I'd love to see you. Well, I will. Our son's going to come down there for a visit because he's he's looking at the same thing. I mean, All when right. you go to that campus, I mean, I, I don't know why you'd go anywhere else if you can go down there. God love you for being able to write the check. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a different story. That's right. Yeah. Thanks, Tom, thanks so much. Nice okay. to see you, man. All Likewise. the best. Okay, take care.